afternoon and welcome to Let's Talk. The pastor is in. I'm program host Kip Allen. Let's Talk is the program for the Christian layman, the Lutheran who believes but has some questions. In short, well, the program is designed for someone just like me. You know, there's a lot I don't understand. Not necessarily something soul-shaking. It might just be something that's been in the back of my mind for a while. And I find that rather than getting into a deep theological discussion, sometimes a casual front porch style talk with the pastor is the best way to understanding. That's what this program is all about. Today's guest is Andrew Preuss of St. Paul and Trinity Lutheran Churches in Iowa. I have my questions. I'm sure you have yours. You can send your questions by email at any time to letstalk at kfuo.org or call in during the program at area code 314-821-0850 in the St. Louis area. That includes Metro East or toll free anywhere in North America at 1-800-730-2727. Pastor Preuss, welcome aboard. Hi, thanks for having me again. Oh, yeah. Well, glad you're up here on the front porch with me. Well, we've been having some very strange weather here in St. Louis. It's been cold and snowy, and then it's gotten back up to, like, 60 degrees, and now it's raining. Of course, this is, as the old say goes, you know, if you don't like Missouri weather, wait a day, it'll change. Yeah. Yeah, it's been a little, it's been pretty mild here. So, I mean, we've had snow, but then it just melts. But we don't, you know, it's probably close to 40 today. Um, so probably high 30s, something like that. So not nothing to complain about. Well, I remember when I lived in Des Moines. Uh, oh, man, those are horrible winters there. <laughs> but uh, here... Yeah, we... yeah, well, some, I, mean, I guess it just depends on... It depends on where you are. Like, we just got a... There was a huge snowstorm uh, last weekend, um, and it was... It swept down through the, the center of the state and hit Des Moines really bad. Uh, uh, and then it, uh, and then it kind of went east and it hit the south, you know, southwestern part of the, st- or the southeastern part of the state, uh, really badly as well. But we up in the northeast part of the state got nothing. So it's, uh, so yeah, I guess it just depends on where you are. Well, who can understand the weather? <laughs> yeah, that's right. Speaking of which, the there's a lot I don't understand. That's what this program's about. And I was just going over uh, some Bible passages recently, mm-hmm. and there's some things I just don't get it here, and I wanted to run this by you. Now, I'm looking specifically at the book of Genesis in chapter 4. Now, right after Cain killed Abel, God said to him, you shall be a fugitive and a wanderer of the earth. And Cain said, my punishment is greater than I can bear. Behold, you have driven me today from the ground and from your face I shall be hidden. I shall be a fugitive and wanderer of the earth and whoever finds me will kill me. Who's going to find him? I mean, the, the creation had just taken place. God created Adam and Eve and there was Cable, A and Cable, uh, Cable, Cable, right, Cable TV, uh, Cain and Abel. Yeah. Now, who's going to kill him? Who's well, there? they would have. They would have had other children. Um, you know, they would have had other children uh, besides Cain and Abel um, that aren't recorded. Um, but if you look at you know the uh, the genealogies and the purpose of the genealogies in uh, in the scriptures, and you see this in Genesis, that they're there to to uh, for the specific purpose of uh, of showing the important lines. Um, so, you know, you'll see that, that, that constant phrase that they had, and they had other sons and daughters, and then they lived, 
this amount of years, then he died, right? So, so they're not giving all the details. Um, so there's a lot that, that, that the genealogies don't tell us. It's just kind of assumed that um, Cain and Abel were the first, but then they would have had other children in between. And so I think that one of the things that trips us up um, is, uh, is that uh, at the end there it says that, that God gave, gave uh, Adam and Eve another child in place of Abel. And the and and what, what I remember assuming when I was a kid that oh okay well they didn't you know all they had was Cain now they didn't have any sons left and so now they gave them you know Seth to replace to replace Abel because they didn't have any other sons and that's kind of what I what I assumed and it sort of sounds that way that's not what it's saying it's just simply saying that that that, that uh, God has given uh, Seth to replace um and and that, that that doesn't mean that there weren't other sons and there weren't other daughters um, but there's a very specific purpose that the scriptures are getting at here that through the line of Seth um, comes you know the savior you know Noah and then Shem and so on you know Abraham Isaac and Jacob so we're following the line of the savior um, throughout and that's why the genealogies are going to be very they're going to kind of focus in on important figures, um, and they'll they'll focus in on other important world figures, like you know when you get into the the genealogies of Ham um, and Canaan and Cush and Egypt and guys like that. Um, of course, you know those things are are setting up the the history and origins of important cities and, and empires and stuff like that. Um, but uh, but the main one that we that we should focus on is, is the seed of Christ, which of course goes through Seth. And then eventually through Noah and Abraham and so on. So, but even even so, there couldn't have been that many people. I mean, if uh, you know, if Cain and you know, if if Adam and Eva did indeed have these other children uh, during mm-hmm. the lifespan of of them and of Cain, there couldn't have been that many people around. Well, it's really it's really tough to it's tough to tell how many. Um, yeah, probably not a whole lot, but. Uh, but I mean, keep in mind uh, what what happened in between uh, the Israel going to Egypt, and then um, and then when the, the Pharaoh came along, who did not know, who did not remember Joseph, and uh, he then brought, you know, he he uh, he put them into bondage, right? Yeah. Well, what did God do um, during that time? He he, and, and this is part of why the Pharaoh was was intimidated is that God caused them to multiply more than, you know, more than anyone could imagine. So, I mean, we, you know, there's no reason to doubt that, that they, that there would have been a lot of babies being born, you know, after Cain and Abel, um, and that there would have been, uh, provided a wife among the sisters of Cain and Abel. And, uh, and again, you know, when it says, you know, I think Cain took a wife, yeah. Even that, you know, it's, it's, so so is it okay? Did he take a wife after he murdered his brother, or does that mean that he his wife was his sister? Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, that there would have been no other option. Uh, there are theories <clears throat> which are uh, which which you know we don't accept because they're not biblical um, and they're just speculative. But theories that there were like soulless beings uh, who were not made in the image of God, but they were still human beings. Um, and that you know, there's there's been sects, uh, in fact, Jewish sects that have come up with those ideas. You know, because the Jewish, there would have been the, the scriptures of the Jews, 
and Luther talks about this in his Genesis lectures quite a bit, and he kind of goes on a little tangent talking about why this is wrong. Um, and really it gets down to, well, Scripture doesn't tell us uh, anything else. Um, and uh, when we start speculating on that these people must have come from some other line than Adam and Eve, well, then we open the door to questioning the image of God and really the dignity of man, um, that God has made man um, and redeemed man, right? Um, so all of this hinges on creation and, uh, you know, being created in God's image. And we, you know, really, you know, the, the, all, all that matters is that we listen to what is revealed to us. And there are multiple possibilities of how the earth was populated and at what, to what extent, how many people there were. Um, and there's no way that we could count them all. So I don't really worry too much about it. But yeah, I mean, it would make, it would make sense if you took one of his sisters. Um, and I remember at this time, there's not as much, there's not as much danger to marry in marrying your sister, you know, when the gene pool is, is, you know, probably pure and there's not as much, uh, there's not as much danger in like mutations and diseases and stuff like that. Um, so. Like, I think that today, if you had to marry your sister today to repopulate the earth, it'd probably be a lot more problematic than it was in those days. But, of course, I'm not a scientist, so I yeah. don't really. <laughs> and, of course, the, you know, the, the rules changed. Uh, yeah. Remember, this is before the, before the Ten Commandments even were yeah. issued. Yep, exactly, yeah. Yeah, the Mosaic Law forbade incest um, with, you know, marrying your sister, so, of course, yeah, I didn't take, I mean, in a relatively short period of time before that, that rule was changed. So. Yeah, and, uh, yeah, you're yeah. right. Yeah, and, and I can see that. It, is, it was before Mosaic Law. And, again, the one of the other things that the Bible indicates is that the lifespan of people is much longer than. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, and that's something that, you know, when the, when the genealogies are given, and he says, okay, he lived, he, he, he lived to this age, and then he had so-and-so. And I don't know. I don't know if that is uh, if that's implying that he didn't have any other children until he was like what three hundred years old or whoever they're talking about. You know, um, you have uh, uh, you know like Noah. I think was like three hundred some before he had his kid. And I don't. I mean, does that mean that he didn't have children before? Maybe. Maybe not. I, I really don't know. Um, I think that the, the the main purpose is to focus in on these individuals because they're the ones who. They're the ones who are important down the line, you know, down as we continue, you know, the, the scriptures are, they're recording history, but like all records of history, they're going to focus in on the main characters, right? They're, they're, uh, the, those are the, those, those are the guys that we should really pay attention to, whether it's for some, some kind of, um, uh, greater role that, that their descendants play in sort of rural geography, uh, or even politics. Mm -hmm. Or it is what what the, what role they play in the uh, in the coming salvation, you know, in the lineage of the of the coming seed, as promised to Adam and Eve in Genesis three fifteen, that the seed of the woman will crush the head of the devil. So that's what it's all focusing in on, and uh, the other details of how they got a wife, how they how many children they had, exactly. They're not; those aren't the important details. And, and again, as we pointed out, this is this is prior to the, the Ten Commandments of Mosaic Law. Uh, again, a little bit further on in uh, chapter four, and, and even actually in the Old Testament after uh, Mosaic Law, you find uh, uh, references to multiple wives. 
Yeah. And I'm looking right now at that. Uh, at uh, let's see, where is it? Above. Uh, uh, yeah, here we go. On verse 23, Lamech said to his wives. Mm-hmm. So yeah, he had more than one wife. You know, this is <laughs> you can't do that today. Certainly not not in, in a Christian society. Yeah. Yeah, I've been. Th- I was actually. I was. I've been thinking about the the polygamy or bigamy um, issue lately, and one thing that 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 I that I've noticed is that in reading the Old Testament, and I, I would I'm I'm okay with being corrected here. I may be missing something, but from what I can tell, after Solomon, you don't have you don't really hear much about guys having more than one wife. Not that it didn't happen, but you don't really hear much about it. Even among like the kings of Ju- of Judah and mm-hmm. Israel, you don't really hear about it. And I wonder if there's that if people finally kind of started to learn their lesson, you know, with with Solomon, where he had all these wives, and then it didn't go well with them. Um, you know, there's uh, that 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 the bigamy and polygamy kind of sort of fades away after that. And by the time the New Testament comes around, yeah, you get guys justifying divorcing their wife and then taking another wife. But but the, the 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 concept of having two wives at once, um, or more than one wife at once, it seems to kind of, it seems to have sort of dissipated um, after the time of Solomon. Well, there's another uh, question I have that I've never quite understood. Uh, when Cain has been exiled and is afraid of being killed. Uh, God said to him, not so. If anyone kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken upon him sevenfold. And the Lord put a mark upon Cain, lest anyone who found him should attack him. What was the mark of Cain? Huh. Well, uh, that's that's a, that's a good question. Um, I think that the, the main purpose of, of that to us is that God, um, God was 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 teaching us that we are not to be vigilantes and that we are not to test God either. And that's why Lamech, you know, the story of Lamech saying, you know, you mentioned he had two wives, and later on he says, you know, if Cain, if Cain, if, if those who take vengeance on Cain are punished sevenfold, then those who take vengeance on Lamech should be punished like 70-fold or something like that. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> well, so, so there's... What he's doing there is he's sort of testing the generosity of God. So I think that what that's showing there is just that there's a there's a generosity with God even when he punishes. And like the whole what the mark of Cain is, that's something that no one we don't know. <laughs> and uh um and in fact, those who have tried to uh to to say what it is have turned out to have have ended up making very, very serious errors. Mm-hmm. Um, and discriminating against people, um, like for example, the originally the Mormons um, taught that uh, the mark of Cain was black skin, yeah. And they eventually changed that, right? They got some prophecy saying that that wasn't the case. But of course, you know that was that was a terrible thing, a terrible thing to say um, about a fellow human being. And so, you know, the mark of Cain, I I look at it as simply God's generosity to Cain, even though he didn't deserve it, and sort of you know. Uh, giving him punishment, but also also it is God's way of teaching that vengeance belongs to Him, and if anyone takes vengeance on Cain, um, then they're then they're taking the vengeance away from God. Um, so yeah, I knew a um, embarrassed to say it. I did not like the guy. I will say it up front. Uh, I knew a fellow in college who was a, just a, a, a rabid racist. 
Mm-hmm. And he would refer, he, he may believe firmly that the mark of Cain was, uh, were, were the, uh, was the black race. Mm. And he, that, to him, justified whatever it was he wanted to do. He said, well, I won't kill them, but yeah. I, can, I can enslave them to other things as well. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, that that's it's unfortunate, Um, you know, and the whole the whole idea of uh, a mark of of, of there being like different races. I mean, there's obviously always understood of being different ethnicities where people come from different areas and they're going to have maybe a little different traits. But uh, but really, I was explaining this to my Sunday or my Wednesday school kids. Um, we're going through the hymn of the Father's Love Begotten, and it talks about the, the Savior of our race. And I was explaining to them that race really originally means the human race, and we are we are united as one um, uh, as uh, as one one ancestor, right? Um, and we were created in the image of God. And um, but if you look at the idea of race and where it came from, the various races, um, and then use people using that to justify, you know. Uh, mistreatment of, of people because of their skin color. That goes back to Darwinism. That goes back to the idea that we somehow have evolved from various life forms, um, but we know that we are all created in the image of God, and there's only one human race. And so the, the mark of Cain is just is just God uh, telling the world that vengeance belongs to him um, and that people should not take matters into their own hands. You know, and the that is a very, very dangerous and evil concept about about racism. Uh, I keep thinking, you know, for example, the eugenics, mm-hmm. which yeah. was huge in the early part of the twentieth century and the late part of the nineteenth. You know, we're trying, we talk about Darwinism, but boy, that evolved into uh, people like uh, well, I'm going to I'm going to name her Sanger, yeah, who wanted to get rid of what she regarded as inferior people, mm-hmm. and that's yep. and. Uh, much of that was picked up, of course, by Dante ideology as well. And it was just, it's horrifying. Mm-hmm. And uh, int- interestingly, the people who we'd, uh, we would call as progressives today were also ardent uh, or ardent eugenicists. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, and that was just kind of like the thing. There's, it was sort of the fad um, in those days to think in, those, in, in, in that kind of way. Um, to be fair, I don't think that... Uh, that that Darwin himself envisioned that, you know that 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 people should then be genocide because of, you know because of uh, this this ideology. But at the same time, he was playing with fire, and this is what happens when you don't trust in the revealed word of God. I mean, this you see that you see the you see the um, consequences of it. So I think that you know when you look back at the history of this, this is just how people thought, and in a way, people still think this a similar way today. People are obsessed with race, and well, we should be obsessed rather with God as our Creator, who created us in His own image, and 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 created us male and female, and died for us, and you know, and wants to sanctify us. You know, that's what we should dwell on. Instead, it always has to do with this kind of power struggle, and we see this already in, in Genesis four. The people just they just care about the power struggle, the, mm-hmm. about being successful in this world. Rather, we should we should care about you know what our Creator has done for us. You know, there there is real danger in false doctrine. Yeah, and uh, I, I think people don't fully realize this sometimes. I know I don't until I start thinking about things like eugenics and 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 you know, like slavery was justified by many people in the religious communities. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, and they point to the Bible. They talk about servants and what have you, but. 
this is this is horrible. Maybe I'm just well, looking at it through the 21st century man, but I mean, I just there was so much that had been justified, so many horrible crimes were justified by false doctrine. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, uh, people will always use uh, they'll try to use a bigger authority to justify what they do. I mean, you even have it today where. And we're going to, re- I mean, we're, we haven't even begun to reap, reap the consequences of, uh, the broken homes, the, yeah. uh, the, 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 just total disregard for the, uh, the distinction between men and women and marriage and, and, and stuff like that. Uh, but we're going to, we're going to see it and it's going to be terrible. Um, and, uh, we're already beginning to see it. And, uh, you know, but look at what that's all done in the name of. It's all done in the name of love and include, in, you know, inclusion and all this other, you know, boulder dash. Um, and people even go to the Bible and try to say that Christ would uh, approve of this stuff. So, I mean, while today it's a, it's a little bit, sounds like a little softer of a message and a little bit more, uh, uh, gu- you know, bubblegum and gumdrop of a message, <laughs> it's still just as destructive when you, when you try to use the Scriptures to promote your own false ideology. Yeah, I think it's correct. And, it, it, and it's scary, and it is very, very dangerous. Mm-hmm. Uh, I look at, uh, well, you know, like we were just talking about uh, how I was, how so much evil has been done by this. Now, how do we as Lutherans recognize the concept of true doctrine here? And I, this is part of the this is part of the program where I say that there's a lot I don't understand. Now, I'm a layman. Mm-hmm. I, I'm by no means a, a scholar in in theology. And this is one of the reasons why uh, I talk to people like you. You know, you're the ones who know more about this than I do. And I, I, I know what I don't know. I guess that's the best way to phrase it. Huh. Yeah. And there is, for whatever reason, you know, I, I have this uh, feeling deep inside me that this is the right path to follow. I don't know why. But I can't deny that I feel that path. And that's why I talk to people like you, to try to help me understand what really is not, un- which is not understandable to me. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. So are you are you uh, asking particularly about the issue of, uh, of like, the fall into sin or, or, or racism or what? Um, well, how is it that we can distinguish between false and true doctrine? And I'm, I'm, oh. I'm thinking specifically us as Lutherans. Oh, well, I mean, first step is we read the Bible, and I mean, if you look at a, you look at a, um, you know, these people in the FBI who are, who are, uh, you know, who who will look at forgeries. You know, they'll try to spot forgeries and counterfeit money and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Well, what they do is they study the real thing, right? They don't study all the different types of counterfeit. They study the real thing so that they can they can spot a counterfeit from a mile away, right? And that's what really any any Christian should do is read the scriptures, know them, and and understand that it's not going to take overnight for you to be able to do it. It's not going to take even even a few years. It's going to take a lifetime. And so, uh, you know, make use of your pastor who has uh, been entrusted by God to study the scriptures and to uh, teach the scriptures. But at the same time, um, you know, don't let the, the, the pastor just think for you. I mean, you, the scriptures have been given to you. And uh, so I would just say keep reading them. And, um, 
And uh, the first step in knowing stuff is to know that you don't know anything. So, um, and uh, and then you know you gotta see a lot of things, a lot of the types of false doctrines. You find yourself you ca- you you're gonna have a knack that has been taught to you by the scriptures. Like something doesn't sound right about that. But see, you got to keep digging and digging and digging. And that's why it's important that we continue to immerse ourselves in the scriptures and be patient about it. Um, don't be so quick to call out heretics. Um, but at the same time, be confident enough to do it when we, when we spot them. Um, but always do it with God's word. If that makes sense. It, it does. And I've got some more questions, and I'm going to ask them as soon as we come back from the bottom of the hour break. All right. Sounds good. the day which the Lord has made. For the lonely and homebound, for the grieving and dying, and for all those who are afflicted in body, mind, and spirit, especially for... Join us for a live broadcast of Chapel at the LCMS International Center weekdays at 10 a.m. on KFUO. Hi, this is Pastor Matt Youngblood-Clark. And this is Pastor Jolly John Lukomsky. Matt, I'm trying to think what would be a good theme verse for uh, wrestling with the basics, like John 3.16? or. Well, I think I've got one, John. Yeah? Uh, how about Acts 2, verse 15? What is it? For these people are not drunk as you suppose. It's only 9 in the morning. That's perfect. All right, now, there's no time for foolishness. Wrestling, wrestling with, with the, the basics. basics. 9.05 Saturday mornings on KFUO. Where we take God's word seriously, but we don't take ourselves too seriously. The Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, on behalf of Concordia Plan Services, Lutheran Housing Support Corporation, Concordia University System, Lutheran Church Extension Fund, the LCMS Foundation, and Corporate Synod, daily reaches out to our members and partners, working together to support our local, global, and international ministries, church workers, and LCMS initiatives at large to carry the mission forward and to serve each other in love. Opportunities to serve, lcms.org careers. St. Paul often uses the word flesh to indicate the sinful nature. But in Romans 1.3, Paul says that Jesus was descended from David according to the flesh. What's going on? Friday on Issues Etc., we'll discuss the Apostle Paul's use of the word flesh with Dr. Mike Middendorf. Issues Etc., live weekday afternoons from 3 to 5 on KFUO. Isaac Newton has been called the greatest scientific genius the world has known. It was Newton who proposed the law of universal gravitation. And it was his three laws of motion that formed the basic principles of modern physics. But it wasn't until after his death in 1727 that his plethora of religious writings were published. Newton was significantly influenced by the writings of Jesus and the apostles, quoting them on a regular basis in his own theological commentaries. He wrote, the first principles of the Christian religion are founded not on disputable conclusions or conjectures, but on the express words of Christ and his apostles. And we are to hold fast the form of sound words. A direct reference to 2 Timothy 1.13. 
Engage with the Bible, this book of all books. Brought to you by Museum of the Bible in Washington, D.C. Well, welcome back to Let's Talk. The Pastor is in. I am program host Kip Allen. My guest today is Pastor Andrew Preuss of St. Paul and Holy Trinity Lutheran Churches up in Iowa. We are discussing false doctrine, seeming contradictions in the Bible, which really aren't, if you know how to look at them. And if you want to join in at this conversation, you know, please give us a call. If you're in the St. Louis area, including Metro East, it's 314-821-0850. Anywhere in North America, toll-free, let's try 1-800-730-2727. Or you can email us at letstalk at kfuo.org. Well, Pastor Preuss, we're talking about studying the Bible, you know, looking at it and trying to understand it as a way to guide from true doctrine as opposed to false doctrine. Now, one thing I have learned working here at the um, at the IC, uh, you know, the Bible was written originally in Hebrew and in Greek, ancient Greek. And most of Luther's writings, all of Luther's writings were, of course, in German. Now, I don't speak any of those languages. And I have learned that uh, a lot of the terms that we have now in the, the English uh, Standard Version, which we're reading uh, right now, really don't quite translate. Mm-hmm. For example, fear of the Lord. What does that mean? Yeah. Well, um, yeah, I mean, that's why it's important for uh, for those who teach the Bible to to know, be familiar with, be able to work with the original languages. Um, some guys are going to be better at than others. Um, and uh, that's why we're, we're in it together. Um, that's, that's, I think, an important point. We shouldn't ever, you know, we should build only on the foundation of Jesus Christ and his apostles and prophets. Um, at the same time, we should remember that we don't lay a new foundation. Um, we make use of the things that God has provided for us uh, so graciously, you know, through through scholars and even scholars who don't necessarily believe everything right, but they've done great work. And so, I, you know, the, the idea that that uh, you got to go and if you don't know the Greek and you don't know it perfectly or the Hebrew, then you got nothing to say. No, that that's not that's not why we learn Greek. That's not why we insist on learning Greek and Hebrew. Um, it's so that we would be more, more confident, uh, in, in what the scriptures do say. Um, but that's not to take anything away from the clarity of your English Bible. You know, if you have the King James, New King James, ESV, these are good translations. Um, you know, but there, of course, it's true that there are going to be, you know, uh, there are going to be certain parts that are not as clear or not as, uh, maybe not as good a translation. Um, that's why it's a good thing to go to Bible class. You know, if you have a pastor who's knows, you know, uses his Greek, knows his Greek, um, encourage him to do that and come to Bible class and listen and ask questions. And those are great opportunities to get into the original language, but, you know, but not, uh, not assume that somehow now this means that we, it does us no, no good to read our own translations at home as if, they're not real, you know, they're not, they're not authentic unless we actually know the, uh, the original. So, um, so, so we should, uh, just make use of these great, uh, these great, uh, 
you know, resources that God's given us um, in, uh, you know, with our pastors and, and other theologians. Other, you know, it's not just pastors who can learn the languages. You know, there, there, oh, yeah. I know some laymen who are very good at it, too. Well, I remember, uh, you know, when I was a kid, uh, the Bible, my family hand, was the uh, King James Version. Uh-huh. And then later on came, there was the Revised Standard Edition, which I really didn't like. <laughs> yeah. And now, of course, we've got the English Standard Version. Uh, who makes these decisions that this is e- acceptable as the Word of God? Who makes the decision that the English Standard Version is okay or the King James Version is okay? Well, I think that every Christian should uh, should make that decision as far as as as, as, as much as uh, he's able, right? If you know Greek, well, take a look at you know take a look at these translations uh, and see you know is it is it being faithful to the text? If you don't know Greek, well, go ask your pastor. Go maybe ask another pastor too, you know. Um, but uh, but I think that there is a consensus. Uh, at least among us confessional Lutherans and the Missouri Synod, um, that the ESV is a is a is a good translation. Although I prefer, uh, I use the ESV as a as kind of a regular study Bible because they got the Lutheran Study Bible, which I find um, helpful in many ways. Uh, but but also I like the New King James Version, um, and there are things about the ESV that I that I am a little critical of um, or. You know, I, I think I'd rather have uh, a a translation that's based on um, a received uh, text of manuscripts of a of of one single manuscript. Uh, I mean, um, rather than a kind of a kind of a, a a conglomeration of different manuscripts. And now I'm already opening up a can of something that people are probably very confused over. Um, but but so things. I'll just explain it real quick. Things like the ESV and NIV. Um, those translations are based on uh, they're based on various uh, manuscripts of scripture. Um, what the editors believe to be the most genuine manuscripts. So you have and rather than having like you know there is there are uh, manuscripts of, of entire books of the Bible, uh, like the majority text or the received text um, that you would just translate straight from that. And if there are any variants that exist, well, you know, we'll deal with that when we come to it. Um, but otherwise, we're just going to have a received text. But where, what the ESV and NIV do is they look at uh, they look at kind of all the manuscripts and and, fig- and try to figure out okay, what's the most genuine reading of each text? So then they 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 put that in their translation, which you know, at the end of the day, it doesn't make a big difference. And it's actually kind of neat that they do that because it demonstrates that all the various manuscripts uh, don't really don't really have much difference. You know, they'll have certain uh, textual differences here and there, but as far as doctrine goes, this really doesn't make a big difference at all. And um, and so I would say, you know, it's good to it's good to educate yourself on that kind of stuff. Um, but usually, you can kind of tell if uh, you know. We all kind of know that King James, while it's archaic is a faithful translation. And so if you're reading the Bible that is just seems to be really going out way out in left field and saying stuff that, you know, paraphrasing too much, stuff like that, well, maybe there's some reason to be wary of it. And then, you know, if you know Greek yourself, check it out. Mm-hmm. Maybe find someone else who does and, and talk about it. So, um, you know, there's, we, we don't need to simply rely on some 
you know, you know, magisterium of experts to figure out what is the best one. But we, we still can use our own judgment and the judgment of others based on, um, you know, the, the skills of of the scriptures and their original languages. Well, one of the things about the English Standard Version I like is the there are annotations, footnotes actually, where certain words are explained more more fully. You know what it meant in in Hebrew or or the other language. Yeah. For example, I'm looking right now at uh, well uh, again Genesis chapter uh, four verse sixteen. Then Cain uh, went away from the presence of the Lord and settled into the land of Nod, east of Eden. Well, what is the land of Nod? Well, it's defined down below as it's, uh, it means wandering. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Not necessarily a land like we think of Iowa or, or Illinois, but the land of wandering. And, you know, that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, you can often tell then, like, if you're, I mean, if you got a, I mean, if you're, if you're an honest uh, layman who wants to read the Bible and, and read a credible, you know, translation and edition, you can often tell, uh, they, you know, that 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 they're serious. That the editors are, that they have some some good scholarship under their belt when they're doing stuff like that. They're explaining to you what certain words mean, and they're not just kind of giving you sort of a uh, a, a, a spoon-fed um, kind of uh, um, you know little kid version or a or a just you know a paraphrase version that's so paraphrase. I mean, I'm not against paraphrasing certain certain parts of scripture because sometimes you know with the literal translation it doesn't make make as much sense um and luther was paraphrased a lot more probably than for my taste even um but sometimes it's just so way out there that they're just not saying what the text is saying at all and so when you have a text like the esv um or king james version or new king james version and one thing i've always appreciated about these ones is that they're very literal um they are uh they're sticking with as as a literal of a translation as you can get, uh, which is nice. Um, there are other translations that um, I've appreciated, though, that are not as literal. Um, and, and again, I still might have uh, some critiques of them, but, you know, uh, that's that's going to happen. But one of them that comes to mind is the American translation by uh, William Beck. Um, that I don't know if you've heard of that one. Uh, he's actually, he was actually a Lutheran. Uh, and my parents gave me one of those for my confirmation, and that was the first time I read the uh, the New Testament uh, was uh, was through through that one. And it's, it's a lot easier translation uh, for for kids. Um, but as far as a literal translation of the Bible goes, you know, ESV or King James version are going to be more more uh, more what you're looking for if you're if you're looking for more of the the literal translation. But I would say that. Beck is still a faithful translation, even though it's not as literal. Well, one thing that that strikes me as uh, actually is a minor miracle, maybe not so minor, uh, were the Dead Sea Scrolls. Mm-hmm. And how, you know, these things weren't discovered until 1947, I think. And it was just how many, how, the translations that went into what is the modern Bible, almost word for word, it survived. Yeah. And I'm, I'm yeah, looking at uh, Psalms, Deuteronomy, uh, Genesis, Isaiah, uh, Leviticus. We've got Jeremiah, Daniel, Job, First and Second Kings, Judges, uh, Ruth, Lamentations, Ecclesiastes, Joshua. All these books are mentioned in the Dead Sea Scrolls. Yeah. And they're accurate. Yeah. That's amazing. Something that survived 2,000 years like that. 
Yeah, I know. That's, well, it really shows how, uh, how, the, uh, how careful these scribes were. That they were, uh, you know, this idea that, that uh, I mean, the, the, the straw man that you often hear from biblical critics, um, the critics of, uh, of, of the Bible, are that, well, you have all these manuscripts and you got a copy of a copy of a copy of a copy of a copy, and it's like playing telephone, and you can see that, you know, obviously we know what happens when you play telephone. Well, of course, this is what's going to happen here. You're going to have a much different version by the hundredth copy or whatever. But we find, first of all, there's more to it than that. You don't just make a copy of a copy of a copy. You make a copy, um, and then that becomes the mother copy, and then every other copy in the family is copied from that. Um, but what the Dead Sea Scrolls pointed, uh, kind of demonstrated was that, uh, that this idea that, that you're going to have these huge variants um, through you know, hundreds of years of copying is just simply not true. And so, so it's it's a it is a win for biblical authenticity for sure. Yeah, I'll even uh, I'll even go so far as to say perhaps some uh, divine intervention was involved in that. Yeah. Well, you know what's funny too about you know you bring up the Dead Sea Scrolls, and I remember learning about these when I was a kid, um, and and I remember going to college, and this is just this is a little bit diff- little bit off topic. Yeah. Um, this is a little bit off topic, but. Uh, you know, the, I remember when I was in college, and I was talking, I can't remember who I was talking to, but I was talking to some some student who was, uh, you know, atheist, agnostic, or something like that. And I said, and it, I was talking about the scriptures, and they're asking questions, and then one of them asked, like, well, what about the Dead Sea Scrolls? And I was like, well, what about them? <laughs> you know, and I didn't really know a lot about the Dead Sea Scrolls, but I knew that they weren't, they weren't like, you know, a win for the higher critics. You know, no, not at all. And, not and, at and all. So, like, I knew that there wasn't, I was like, wait, that two scrolls are, like, on our side, I thought, you know. And I remember <laughs> being kind of confused, and it just kind of dawned on me afterwards that, oh, man, these people are so brainwashed that the scriptures are wrong, that any archaeological evidence they hear about, they just automatically assume that it disproves the scriptures. But it's, it's the other way around. Yeah. It's, I mean, there's so much, there's a, there's a, a book that, uh, we read in seminary, which is a really interesting one. I think you'd enjoy reading it. Um, the Word Becoming Flesh by uh, Horace Hummel. I've heard um, of it. Yeah, and he goes through, you know, a lot of these these claims of the critics and goes through archaeological findings, and it's just incredible. It really is uh, amazing how much uh, archaeological evidence there is out there that does uh, validate what the Scriptures claim. Um, oh, absolutely. And there so, was the, uh, uh, not all that long ago, there was the uh, column that was uh, formed that uh, was found that had the inscription of Pontius Pilate being the governor of Judea. And, I just saw that today, yeah, that's yeah, it. Yeah, fascinating stuff. I mean, there, 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 one of the things that came up just recently was uh, that there was a ring that has been found, apparently, that says uh, Pontius Pilate. It's a signet ring. Probably was. Yep. yep. Yeah. Go ahead, Craig. Yeah, and it may not have been his per se, but the thing was, it referred to the governor. And yeah. there were skeptics said, well, there's no evidence that Pontius Pilate ever existed. Well, yeah, there is. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, that's the one that I saw. That's the one that, that I saw just today. I saw the, the report about that. And apparently Pilate was a very, pretty rare name. Yeah, that was, um, that was brought days. out, yeah. And, and then to have a, a signet ring, too. I mean, that means that you are pretty high up. 
Um, so, uh, yeah, no, that's interesting. I looked at it, though. It was in Greek, and it's sort of a mirrored version of it. Mm-hmm. So it was, uh, they said in the, in the article that I read, they said it was, it was pronounced Pilatus, like U-P-I-L-A-T-U-S. And they pointed out that it was in Greek. It was in Greek, but I looked at it, and it just said P. I didn't see a sigma at the end, so I saw the, you know, uh, you know uh, uh, the, just a, in the Greek in the Greek uh, spelling was just pilata, like with an omicron or an o at the end. Um, so I, that's the one thing I was a little bit confused about. But otherwise, I mean, looking at it, yeah, it, it appears to be a the ring of an important guy named Pilate. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And, and remember, just uh, I think within the last year or so, there was a uh, uh, a seal uh, from uh, Hezekiah. Oh yeah, that's right. Yeah. And again, there are people who say, "No, we don't have any evidence that this guy was around." Well, yeah, we do. Yeah. <laughs> well, you have you have uh, Hezekiah. I mean, there's reference to Hezekiah in um, uh, oh, it's called the Prism of. Uh, the prism of Sennacherib, mm-hmm. um, and Sennacherib is known um, from other sources outside the scriptures, you know, from Assyrian sources as being, oh, the fourth. Uh, so there's, I was just going through this with my children, because um, we're learning this in, in history classes. Uh, so Tiglath-Pileser, the third, and then uh, Shalmaneser, the fifth, and the Sargon, and then you had uh, Sennacherib. And so Sennacherib uh, he's the one who comes up against Hezekiah and uh, in Judah and uh, tries to take Jerusalem and, it's just, and, and his army is destroyed. And they, their archaeologists have found a prism. It's like a, sort of like a, a hexagon kind of thing that has the uh, the, the memoirs or the, the kind of chronicles of Sennacherib on them. And uh, the last one of the last things that's mentioned there is that it is his conquest against Hezekiah. But it does not mention him taking Jerusalem. It said it said that he had Jerusalem surrounded, but then that was it. It didn't say anything really other than that. So, uh, so I think remarkable. I mean, you do have uh, other sources testifying to what the scriptures say um, well, there, all over the place. Well, for example, uh, I was uh, trying to recall where I read this article, uh, but somebody was maintaining that there was no there was no non biblical reference to Jesus. Wrong. I mean, mm-hmm. Tacitus mentions him. Josephus mentions him. Mm-hmm. Tony the younger. Yeah, yeah, you're right. And yeah. and yeah, well, uh, there there were re- many references to him. Yeah, and the fact that the fact that you have like they they found this uh, you know these these sources of kind of Gnostic gospels, um, and uh, you know there, there's they have you know they're written about Christ. Well, even that, even the fact that there were heretics who were trying to tell their own version of Christ demonstrates that this is a very important figure, you know. Um, and you have, uh, you know, that, 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 that the Christian, I don't like calling it a movement necessarily, but kind of from a worldly, from a worldly perspective, it seems like a movement. I mean, it's a very significant movement, you know. So, so, so the idea that people try to, you know, we had a, an atheist professor at our college, who claimed that uh, he, you know, he said he questioned whether Jesus really existed as a man, and I would have, you know, other students would claim that too because they take his class, and and I just thought, man, you guys are just so, uh, it's just embarrassing how how invincibly ignorant you are um, to make such a claim. It's just out, it's just uh, outrageous, and and if 
and I understand that the, the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. I fully expect that to be. But when they go to the point of making outrageous historic claims, um, it, it's just embarrassing. <laughs> <laughs> it is. It is. I mean, you, you can understand on different interpretations, but to say that he didn't exist, just it, it doesn't pass the, 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 uh, the, the stiff and giggle test. No, exactly. Yeah, I like that. I like that. The sniff and giggle test. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's one way to phrase. It. Yeah, <laughs> I yeah, forgot yeah, where I ran into that that one. Uh, <laughs> but I mean, there was another one that uh, uh, somebody was arguing that crucifixion wasn't often used. Well, mm-hmm. then they find <laughs> found the remains of some poor fool in, uh, in in modern in modern Jerusalem who had been crucified. Oh yeah. Yeah, it was done. Yeah, Yeah. you know, and a lot of these things, I mean, there's so many many of them. I mean, there's also one, uh, there have been excavations of of cities that are clearly cities that have been covered in, um, completely covered in uh, sulfur. And um, there's no, there are no, uh, uh, you know, magnetic or or what what do they call those, like geysers, you know, geyser field or anything like that. Mm -hmm. Around, you know, just right along the Dead Sea, there, you know, right where Sodom and Gomorrah would be. Yeah, and these, you know, you don't hear about this stuff, but it's there. You could, you could look up these, this stuff. I mean, there's, there's videos of this on YouTube that are, you know, where they, they have uh, these excavators have found. Uh, they, I mean, what appears to be Sodom and Gomorrah, you know, pretty, pretty clearly, and it's more, uh, more, more sulfur there. The purity of sulfur there is higher even than uh, the ones in. Uh, you know, an uh, old faithful and, and the geyser field uh, down in New Zealand, New Zealand. You know, so it's just it's incredible. But you know, all of these things that are testifying of God, of the, the claims of the scriptures being true, I look at these as as testimonies against against the unbelief of those who refuse to listen to the scriptures. You know, that even the even those in Nineveh will rise up against you. Yeah. You know. That, that 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 the queen of the south will rise up in judgment against you. That the, that all of these things. You know, we know that in the scriptures is eternal life. That that is re- that the scriptures are what reveal to us the the Son of God and salvation. There and there, the the Holy Spirit uses the scriptures to convince, to convict, to comfort, and all that. But these, the way I, I like to look at these apologetic kind of external sources of uh, archaeology and stuff is they're they're just judgment against those who refuse to listen to Moses and the prophets. You know, <laughs> so. I'm always amused uh, at those people who claim that uh, that Christians reject science, and yet when science backs up what we believe, yeah, <laughs> well, that doesn't really mean that. Yeah, uh, sure. And these are often the same people who claim that um, a child that anyone could look at as for themselves in an ultrasound is not actually a human being. Oh, incredible! You know? Absolutely. I mean, it's it's, it's just. You know, you can see that what's driving them is not empirical objectivity. No, what's driving them is a is a religion. It's an ideology that they're they're very zealous about. There is a um, uh, a photo that's making the rounds on the internet of uh, a married couple uh, regrettably had a miscarriage at uh, fifth, I think it was at fifteen weeks, mm-hmm. and what they did was they took some photographs of their stillborn child. And this was a child at 15 weeks. Hands, toes, nails mm-hmm. were all formed. Mm-hmm. 
how can they look at something like that and say, oh, no, it's just a mass of cells, contents of a womb? Well, uh, they're blind. I mean, that's that's why. It's, it uh, is. And, and all these things, too. I mean, this is, this is you know, all the this is, it's kind of an interesting commentary on how we can understand evidence, right? Mm-hmm. External evidence. Well, really, again, all this, this outward evidence does is demonstrate, really to us, to take warning that this is that it is amazing how blind people can be, that that people reject creation, they reject the creator, and like I mean, have you ever looked at the human body? You know, and it's these things. It's not like we are are restored that our faith in the creator is restored because we go and study the human body, right? Mm-hmm. But but it is it, it is confirmed in the, in the sense that we that that we say, yeah, this is what the scriptures have told us, and. We're seeing it to be true, and and when people will reject even what is right before their eyes, um, you know, that's a, it's a warning that that's the power of unbelief. Isn't there a, isn't there a saying? Uh, there is none so blind as he who will not see. Say that one again. There is no one so blind as the person who refuses to see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. Yeah. yeah. So it's a scary thing. Well, it's just like the scriptures say, Second uh, uh, Second Corinthians. Uh, Seven, I may be wrong there, but that, that the God of this world has blinded them, um, and that's the you know the devil, and so and we know that to be true. I mean, that we sound like fanatics when we say that, but it's true. That's what the scriptures tell us. Well, I think it's uh, a perfect argument as to why Roe v. Wade play, uh, passed. Hmm. Was it that, that Satan had a role to play in that? Yeah, yeah. No, I believe it. That's right. Uh, Pastor Price, so we're running into the final minute of the program. Uh, do you have any observations you'd like to make? Well, you know, the uh, we talked about quite a few different things uh, today, but uh, I think it really centers on um, the 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 purpose and the reliability and purpose of the scriptures. And we should, you know, we shouldn't be afraid to study the scriptures. And uh, if we find that we don't know a lot, well, you know, just know that uh, that God is patient with us, and the scriptures are patient with us. And so keep on. Keep on studying and keep on going to church and and listening, and God will God will grant the growth. And He does. <laughs> and your suggestion about Bible class is very very well put. I want to tell our listeners that you've been listening to Let's Talk. The pastor is in today's guest was Pastor Andrew Price of St. Paul and Holy Trinity Lutheran Church up in Iowa. Now every Friday, a pastor sits in with me for a friendly chat on the front porch. If you have a comment or question. Email it to us at letstalk at kfuo.org. And I want to give a special thanks to Pastor Emeritus Fritz Bowie for letting us use his recording of All Glory, Laud, and Honor as the theme song for Let's Talk. The Pastor is in. Till next Friday, God bless you all. listening to The Pastor Is In, a weekly chance to chat with a pastor. Your support is vital for this program to continue. To learn about giving opportunities, call Mary at 314-996-1518. You can make a gift safe, secure, and easily online at kfuo.org. Thank you for listening and supporting The Pastor Is In on Worldwide KFUO.